As we come now before the Word of God, please turn in your Bibles to the book of James in chapter 4, if you'd like to read along with me. And we'll finish out chapter 4 this morning with the Lord's help. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, your word says, and we know it's true, that the grass withers and the flower fades, and surely we are grass. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Your words here are forever. These are eternal truths, immortal in our ears. Would you cause us now to hear them like this? Help us to embrace these things and to love and to follow you more. Guide us by your spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. This is James in chapter 4. I want to take up here, with the Lord's help, these uh, last few verses of the chapter. So we'll begin in verse 13 and read to the end. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of God. Now, in this section of James, he addresses here, and we will focus on the issue of future plans. He looks at the issue of future plans, and we know this is an issue that's always fitting, of course. Uh, scriptural is, is universal and timeless, at least in some sense, and so it, it resonates across all these centuries, but we know it feels, at least to me, that this feels especially appropriate in light of this very bizarre last year that we've been through. You know, in this text, James gives us an example here of what's probably just a hypothetical person. He mentions a, 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 a person here, but he doesn't seem to be referencing a particular one. He's not calling out anyone by name, so he's just referencing an, an example person. So just for reference's sake, we'll call him uh, Joe, he's a, a guy who trades, so Trader, jo Trader Joe, uh, TJ, good old TJ. Uh, so TJ here, he gets this idea in his, hand, in his head. He says, you know, today, maybe tomorrow, I'm going to travel into such and such a town, and, and I'm going to stay in that town for a year, and while I'm there, I'm going to trade, and I'm going to uh, uh, trade all these goods, and I'm going to make some money, and this is going to be my year. You know, this is going to be the year we're going to make something of ourselves. I'm, I'm finally going to go for it. So that's TJ's idea. Now, 
Imagine that TJ decides to make his big move to this town a year ago, in January of 2020. And so on the first of the year, he gets up, he moves to his, his town, and it starts out great, new city, new start, trading goods, and all is well. And then February hits, and he starts to hear of this strange sickness that people are talking about and hear on the news somewhere. He doesn't think much of it till March rolls around, and then everyone says, wash your hands. Oh, stay six feet distant. You know, everything starts to then shut down. Businesses shut doors, venues close doors, gatherings are highly restricted. And all of TJ's plans for trade and for profit are completely turned upside down. I mean, this was supposed to be the year of TJ, but the pandemic was not part of his plan. You know, it became a sort of running joke for us, at least. Joke only maybe because it was so sad that we couldn't quite handle it, that, you know, if, if 2020 had a bingo card of unfortunate events, you know, people would, something strange would come up and people would say, did you have that on your 2020 bingo card? I had to, there's so much that happened in this past year, I had to go back and look it up because I, I just forgot about it all. Remember the, the toilet paper shortage? That wasn't that long ago when there was no toilet paper on the shelves. That was just this past year, there was a toilet paper shortage the murder hornet scare, the controversy about the presidential vote count happened. We saw new waves of Black Lives Matter protests. Australia caught on fire and Beirut exploded. And everybody had to learn to live life on the internet. I'm sure this is not how any of us thought this year would go. You probably even had some of your own personal issues this past year to add on top of the societal issues we were dealing with. We know the year was not all bad, of course. I don't want to be all downer about it. I'm sure there were plenty of good things that happened, but at least there were plenty of unexpected things, things that none of us saw coming. So the way that James words it here is not particularly revolutionary, but it's true. He just says, you don't know what tomorrow may bring. You don't know. And on some level, we know, I think, I do, and I think you do as well, we know that this is true in our minds, that we're unaware of what tomorrow has. But, but this past year, we felt it, I think. We really had to face how unpredictable everything is. Now, in telling us these things, James is not trying to make us paranoid here. He's not trying to, you know, whip up some anxiety about the future, you know, to, to make us into little preppers that, that, uh, that hoard away little uh, stacks of toilet paper just in case it happens again. You know, he, James is just putting us in our proper place. He says our lives here are, are as a mist. You know, there's a puff of it, and then it vanishes. And the scripture makes lots of comparisons of a similar sort. We see uh, comparisons like that, especially in the book of Job. And boy, if anyone knows what it's like to have an unexpected day, it's Job. And now, over the course of the book of Job, Job compares his own experience and then life in general. He compares life to a leaf that's blown by the wind. He compares life to a boat that's 
swept down the river. He compares life to breath and to shadow. And none of this is to say that our lives are unimportant or insignificant. We know that the Lord has made us in his image. He has set up humans, mankind, to reign forever with him as the crown of his creation. We are not insignificant. However, in this fallen world, broken as we know it now, our lives are fleeting. And that's not news to us. You know, you can probably feel that fleetingness in your bones, the fragility of life. So I don't need to convince you of that. James just states this as a matter of fact, but he wants us to do something with this fact. That based on this unavoidable reality that we are missed, James tells TJ and us now this particular uh, correction. It's in verse 15, if you're looking. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. So now in this time, we need to look at what that means so that we won't misinterpret that or or misconstrue God's word. We need to understand what does it mean to say, if the Lord wills. Let's lean into this a little bit. James's correction here does not say, does not say a few things. The first thing he does not say is that we shouldn't plan for the future. That's not what he's telling us. That, that, Uh, we know from the scripture that a lack of any sort of planning would be unwise. So in the book of Proverbs, we hear in chapter 6, the writer says, go to the ant, which is like every day in my household. Uh, We're going to the ants. Uh, They're they're in and outside. It's summertime. Go to the ant. And then the writer says, the ant prepares food in summer and gathers provision in the harvest so, so don't just sit back. Don't just let go and let God. I want you to plan ahead for the future as the ant does. Go to the ant, consider his ways, and be wise. You know, what's good for the tiny little ant is good for us also. In, in the days of, of Joseph in Egypt, you know the story, so I don't have to rehash the whole thing. Pharaoh had a dream about the skinny cows and the fat cows and all of those things. But Joseph comes in to interpret it, and they find out that they're, they're going to have seven years of plenty of the fat cows, followed by seven years of skinny cows, of famine. And they knew the seven years of famine was coming, and so they prepared for the future. They stocked up, they built storehouses, and had reserves of food so that they would be able to eat They planned ahead. And even though we don't have the luxury of knowing what's seven years ahead for us, it's wise for us to try as well as we can to plan ahead for the future. It is not a failure to trust God to think ahead. Thinking ahead is a good thing. So that might look like Well, a lot of things. So if you're able to have some sort of insurance, perhaps, 
or, or savings or 401k or what have you. It, it would be a good thing in this line to have calendars and appointments and travel plans. We know that these things aren't perfect. There, there's nothing that's a fail-safe in this sense. But James isn't steering us away from planning here. That's the first. There's one other thing that he's not doing. James is not telling us that we shouldn't ever pursue profit. He's not telling us uh, that we shouldn't want to make money. You know, the scripture tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. You know that phrase, right? That's from the Bible. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So we should be very careful not to let, you know, money consume us, to make us greedy, to be an idol that would occupy too much of our minds and hearts. Actually, James is going to deal with that in the next text. So we'll get to that when we get there. And yet money at the same time is, that's how we feed ourselves. That's how we feed our kids. That's how we keep the lights on and the air going. That's how, that's how we're able to give to others who have need. The, money is a good thing when it's well used. So the end of Proverbs, in Proverbs 31, uh, there's a famous you know, hypothetical woman there who's called an excellent wife. Uh, and the excellent wife, who can find, uh, the, the author says. And there's a long list of commendable characteristics that she has. One of the characteristics is that in the way that she interacts in the marketplace. So she buys a field, she sells linen garments, for example. And we also hear this in Proverbs 31, uh, where is it, verse 18. It says of her that she, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable and her lamp doesn't go out at night. She perceives her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp doesn't go out at night. In other words, she's working toward that profit. She's putting effort toward making profit. In that sense, she's very much like TJ in James. She's preparing ahead to, to trade and to earn profit. Scripture supports and encourages such things. So James is not correcting us for planning, nor is he correcting us for trying to profit. These are often good, and we should carry on with them. So anyone who would use this part of James as an excuse for laziness or aimlessness or just saying, oh, we're just supposed to kind of ride with the winds, that would miss the whole point. The correction here in James to this guy TJ and then to us now as listeners, the correction is not what he is doing. The correction is what he is isn't doing in the midst of his pursuits. There's something missing from this man's experience, and what's missing is what he has failed to say. That he's failed to say, if the Lord wills. Even if this man knows it to be true on some level, that he knows, you know, the wisdom of the Proverbs, that that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps, even if he knows that in practice he has lived without acknowledging that. And this was a sort of neglect. James says this failure reveals something about us on the inside, that there's an arrogance here. 
a sort of, a sort of boasting. He even calls it evil. At the, uh, at the end, verse 16, as it is you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So to assume what we're going to do tomorrow when we are like mist, that's presumptuous. That's overly self-confident. We can't even secure the next minute for ourselves. So everything that we do, that we plan, that we hope, that we expect, all of it always has a caveat. It's only if the Lord wills. And James would say, don't forget that. Don't neglect that. Now, I feel like I need to clarify something here just to make sure that we don't get off track. In accepting that the Lord has a will for us, okay, we are not called here to determine exactly what his will is. Did you hear me? I'm going to say it again. We are not called to determine exactly what God's will is for us. Nothing in scripture calls us to, you know, Sherlock Holmes it, you know, pull out your little magnifying glass and, and, and to really, you know, try to figure out and suss out what God's will for tomorrow is going to be so that I can do it. The scriptures do call us to do things like be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will test and approve what the will of the Lord is. That's in the scripture, but it's talking about God's will in a different sense. So we speak about God's will in a few ways. This will be just a heads up, a couple of theology terms here, but they're good, they're important. I want you to stick them in your brain pocket so that you know them. These are helpful for us. Okay, we speak about God's will in a couple of ways. One is what we call the preceptive will of God. His preceptive will. That is the will of his precepts or his commands. The will of God's commands. We also sometimes call this God's revealed will. Revealed is easier to remember than preceptive, right? Uh, God, the preceptive will or the, or the revealed will of God is where God reveals to us in his word what to do, what is good. So for example, we are told in the scripture, love God. It's a simple one, at least in concept. Love God, love your neighbor. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. There's lots of things we're called to do, also lots of things that we're forbidden to do. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. Also, don't interpret omens. You know, don't tell fortunes. These are against the revealed will of God. And while we do need some measure of transformation and discernment and spirit's guidance to rightly listen to the word of God, we do not need a magnifying glass or a crystal ball to do it. The preceptive will is clear to us because it's given right here in ink. We can find his preceptive will. But the preceptive will of God 
does not tell TJ whether he should go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and profit there. It's not a Bible verse that tells him to do that, to go or to not go. You know, he might need some wisdom, but he's not going to find that in the scripture. That sort of thing, those sorts of decisions belong to what we call the decretive will of God. Decretive will. That is God's will of decree. We also call this his hidden will. So God's decretive will, everything happens according to it. Everything is according to God's decree. That is everything from your choice of shoes to put on this morning to the, the, you know, the car that you got into, to the timing of the pandemic even, to the death of, the, the, of Christ on the cross, the day, time, moment that that would happen so that he would save the world from sin, all of it, from the greatest to the small of it, it's smallest is all decreed by God. And God has already decreed his will for TJ in the coming year. There is a decree over whether he will go and trade and profit or whether he's going to go and meet a pandemic and have to go hunting for toilet paper. But TJ cannot know what God's decretive will is. It's hidden to him. God's decretive will is veiled to us. So we have no way to discover what God's decretive will is before it happens. We can know it after it happens. That was God's will. But we cannot know before. Even the best Sherlock Holmes cannot figure it out. So it's not a bad thing to be ignorant, in some sense, of God's will. To not know his will, in some ways, is actually good for us. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher of the 1800s, lived in a different time but said things that are still true. He made this observation about this. He said, suppose a certain man is to be very happy by and by. If he knows it, he will be discontented until that happy hour arrives. Suppose another man is to have great sorrow very soon. It's good that he does not know it, for now he can enjoy the present good. If we have all of our lives written in a book with everything that was to happen to us recorded therein, and if the hand of destiny should give us that book, we should be wise not to read it. It is sufficient that our Heavenly Father knows. And His knowledge may well content us. Knowledge is not wisdom. He is wisest who does not wish to know what God has not revealed. God has not told us all of his will, or even most of his will for us. So James's call to us here is not that we would know God's will, 
It's that we would submit to God's will, whatever it may be. Did you hear the difference? I'll say it again. The call here is not for us to know God's will for us in the future, but that we would submit to God's will, whatever it may be. Part of that submission, you may have noticed in the text, specifically has to do with our mouth. He doesn't just say, no, if the Lord wills. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. This doesn't mean these are a set of magic words. You know, there's not a formula that we're supposed to attach to every phrase. It would be silly if we did that all the time. You know, can you imagine if you had every plan you had to do this, you know? Hey, hun, I'm going to go to the grocery store if the Lord wills. And I'm going to get some eggs if the Lord wills. And I'm going to get some milk if the Lord wills. And I'm going to get some bacon if the Lord wills. I guess I'm having breakfast if the Lord wills. And, uh, and then I'm going to stop by the bank if the Lord wills and it's open. And, and then I got to get some gas if the Lord wills. You see, you know, I mean, all of these things are, of course, in the Lord's decretive will for us. But let's not get silly trying to cover all the bases with just a little bunch of words. You know, the most important part is the heart of this. That we really take in the reality that God is the only one in control. And yet at the same time, there is something to be said about the fact that the way we speak is reflective of the attitude of our hearts. So he wants to put this in our mouths. I combed through the letters of the New Testament to see what that might even look like. You know, Paul makes plenty of future plans in the scriptures. He's traveling all around. He's sending all these messengers. And so I was curious, you know, how does he, how does he actually play this out? And there are a couple of occasions where he makes a plan, uh, like he, he plans to send to the, Ephesian, or to the Philippians this man named Epaphroditus, and he just says, I'm going to send this guy. And he doesn't explicitly say, I'm going to send him if the Lord wills. Uh, so that affirms that there's not some sort of absolute, you have to spell it out every time you've got a plan, but it's striking to see how often Paul in the scripture, in the majority of cases, uses a form of these words when he talks about the future. So he says, for example, that he plans to return to Ephesus if God wills. He plans to visit the Romans in Spain by God's will. He says, I hope to come to you, Corinthians, soon, if the Lord wills. And he intends to pit stop on a pass through Macedonia, if the Lord permits. So it seems that there's wisdom here, there's a general practice to really take James's correction to heart. It's not just that we're acknowledging in our minds, yes, I act according to the will of God, yes, I know that. He's calling us to actually say it. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills as we plan, as we pursue, as we pray. And there's one little word of this phrase that can be the hardest to say. It's probably the stumbling block, if any part of it is. If the Lord wills, the hardest word, at least I think so, is the little word, if. If the Lord wills. If is a tough word. 
Because if makes an absolute thing into a conditional thing. If takes away our control and it puts it somewhere else. If forces us to have to release some of our arrogance, I suppose, and, and take up some measure of submission. That it's dependent on something else. If makes these conditional dependence, but look at what the dependence is on. It's not if the weather is good. It's not if my cancer goes away. It's not if I can save enough money. It's not if my kids will cooperate and get in the car. It's if the Lord wills. He's the one that we're dependent on. It's all held within his hand. And that's a really good place to be. You know, we want the Spirit, by his power and grace, to put these words in our minds and in our hearts so that it'll start to shape us, if the Lord wills. It begins to train us in the habit of good dependence on God if the Lord wills, to learn some sort of surrender to him, if the Lord wills, to deepen our trust in Jesus. Don't you want that? So it'd be good for us to put this into practice. We'll even do it now. There's no sense in waiting until tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Okay, do something for me. This will be the end of it, and then we'll be done. I want you to think about, I'm now asking you to actually do something, okay? I want you to think about what is on the docket for you tomorrow. What's on, it's tomorrow's Monday. Monday morning, what is on your slate? Okay, maybe you've got travel plans. Maybe you've got to drive to Hannibal or some short distance. Maybe it's a long distance. Maybe you've got school or, or swimming lessons. Uh, maybe, maybe you're like TJ and you've got work plans. You're going to trade and make a profit. That'd be good. Or, or maybe you don't know. You know, Monday's Monday, I have no particular plans, but at least you're going to wake up, you hope. You're going to wake up, and you're going to eat breakfast. You know, eggs or toast or coffee or whatever your breakfast is. What's on your Monday morning, tomorrow? Now, imagine that whatever is written on that slate in chalk it's completely erased. It's all gone. It does not happen at all how you've expected, but what remains on that chalkboard there for tomorrow is some permanent engraving that's been written there by the very hand of God in his perfect will for you tomorrow. Even if it's totally different than what you thought, are you willing to surrender to his will there? If so, I want you to fix in your mind now and then later put it in your mouth as soon as you can that, that as far as your plans go, tomorrow I will live and do this or that if the Lord wills. And his will is right. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know 
that we are a mist, that our lives are but a breath, but you are forever. You are the everlasting God, eternal from all the ages. Lord, would you help us to make good plans and good pursuits and in the midst of these things to surrender to your will, to know that we'll live and do this or that only as you will. Would you make your will our delight that whatever you give, we would be glad to take. Thank you for being our God, one whom we can trust. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.